right, well, let's pray now to Jesus Christ, who is our hope in life and death. Lord Jesus, great hope of the church, we come to you. We ask you to fill our hearts right now with love for your word and the desire to follow Jesus as our Lord, as our King, as our everything. Lord, I ask that you would cut through the clutter in our minds, the concerns, the worries, the fears, the things that are weighing on our hearts, and that we would hear from you today. Lord, be with me as I speak. I pray that my mouth would be clear, that I would speak only things that are helpful to your people. And I ask, Lord, that you would be with all of us. May we be today by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, um, we took a deep dive into what is one of the more sobering chapters in the Bible, potentially one of the most heavy passages in all the New Testament to preach. And I don't say that lightly. Um, when Paul says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved, that's pretty heavy talk, wouldn't you agree? Um, there's a lot at stake in these verses. The salvation of a man's soul, the purity of the church of Jesus, and the witness church has to the watching world. It's all comes together in 1 Corinthians 5. And we took a deep dive last week. The sermon's online, so if you weren't able to watch it, I encourage you to do that. It's on Facebook. Um, the great old Facebook serves a purpose, right? And, and so, uh, if you have a chance, watch that. Because I'm not going to go into that text deeply today. Um, I'm going to read the chapter again, give a brief summary of what happened there, what we saw, and then we're going to develop some practical application for us from this passage. So, by way of review, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you, open it and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's also a few Bibles there. In the letter to the church at Corinth, Paul writes this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans, the Gentiles, the Roman world, don't tolerate. The world's not okay with it, guys, but you are. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Should you rather, shouldn't you have rather gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And as one who is with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So 
When you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. We talked about last week, that just means kick him out of the church. The church is the realm where Jesus is king. The world is the realm where Satan rules. Kick him out. Make it clear, you're not among us. Your boasting is not good, verse 6. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So this passage describes a tragic problem going on in the church in Corinth that Paul has heard about. Apparently there's someone who's identified as part of their church, a member. And yet he's living in a way that is bringing great dishonor to the name of Jesus and great harm to the Christian community and its purity. And he's even putting his own soul in eternal danger. He's been sleeping with his own father's wife. Probably not his biological mom. We talked about all that last week. And the Corinthian church up until now has been largely looking the other way. And so the reason Paul is writing is to tell the Corinthians, you've got to remove this man from your church. Now, here's what I want to hone in on for our time this morning. To remove someone from this church, there must have been some way of knowing that he was actually a part of their church. This man wasn't just an unbeliever who visited their service. We read about that later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14, where Paul says, if, you, if an unbeliever walks into your church and everybody's speaking in tongues and it's chaos, they'll say, these people are out of their minds. All right? We'll talk about that when we get there about the right use of gifts. But this man wasn't just a random person that visited or even somebody that was coming for a while. We talked about it last week that he most likely it could, could have been one of the leaders even. A man of high status. And he wasn't a Christian from a different city who was visiting his in-laws in town and happened to go to the Corinthian church that day. He was formerly a part of the church of Corinth. They had baptized this man into their number. And he was a professing member of Jesus' family in Corinth. Not the church of Rome, not the church of Ephesus, not the church of Thessalonica, not just vaguely the global church. Well, am I a part of the family of Jesus when I'm a Christian? No, 
He was a part of the Corinthian church. This is a Corinthian church problem that the Corinthian church has to deal with. That was the church for Christians in that city. There weren't different franchises that they could go to down the street back then, right? It was This was the church, and it was a church problem in Corinth. And if, today, maybe things are a little different. If this guy got removed from a church for something like this, you know, he could potentially get on his smartphone and look up other churches in the area and go down the road. They don't have to know. They'll just slip in the back. Things were a little more complex nowadays than they were back then, although things got complex. and They had plenty of their own complexities to deal with, right? People going to idol temples, and we'll, we'll talk, tackle all this stuff in a little while. But back in Corinth, to be removed from the Corinthian church was to be cut off from the church of Jesus in that city. Um, those household communities, there may have been many households, but they were all connected, closely connected. But even though our context is a little different, this passage still has a lot to teach us about the principles of what is often referred to as church membership and church discipline. And in every age, in every context, local churches of Jesus, local, a church is a word that means assembly, local assemblies, gatherings of, of Jesus who want to take God's word serious, they, they've They've always tried to figure out ways of using wisdom, using the principles in the Bible to determine this is us, this is who we are, these people are our, our church family. And, and I, I want you to see how 1 Corinthians 5 assumes this. It assumes that a church knows who's us and who's outside. For this man to be kicked out, he had to be formally in, in some way, which think you could argue happened at his baptism. Baptized in. Otherwise, his removal would have been meaningless. He, he could have easily said, you can't remove me. I never joined. Right? So, passages like 1 Corinthians 5 are one key reason, I think, why in a country like, especially like our country, America, where 65% of adults identify as Christians, even when they're clueless about who Jesus is, why he came, what it means to follow him. Um, local churches, like ours, using wisdom, prayer, the Bible, need to figure out some sort of formal way to make sure everyone who really belongs to their local chapter of God's global family agrees on who Jesus is, why he came, and what it means to follow Jesus, and that they're actually seeking to follow Jesus with their lives. Because we can all agree on paper, but then when push comes to shove, are you really pursuing the Lord? This guy wasn't in 1 Corinthians 5. Now, different churches are going to do this in different ways, and that's okay. We at New Creation Church, as most of you are probably aware, we... we Adopted the common practice of a, what we call a membership class, which is basically just sitting down with me and going over what we believe and teach at a church, the basics. And it's an opportunity to like ask questions and say, "Do you believe this? Do you not believe that?" What um, get to know each other. But that's our our process, and then agreeing to 
a short summary we have of Christian living. I, I agree to try to live my life as the Bible calls. Now, as, as a church, we, we welcome anyone to attend our Sunday gatherings. And we want people to feel welcome because we want people to hear about Jesus and learn about Jesus. But as a church, and we'll talk more about this near the end, we, we ask people that are truly Christians, you really, you say, you know what, I, I think, yeah, we may agree disagree on something, but I, I, I agree with you on who Jesus is. I agree with you on why he came. I agree with you on why, what it means to follow him. And I, I am trying to follow him with my life. We ask Christians to go through this formal process to become formal part of our church to just make sure we are on the same page about Christianity. So I'm going to do two things now. I, I want to just back up now and explain church membership using two of the key pictures that Paul himself uses for church membership. What is this thing called membership in the Bible? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians and see two things that Paul talks about with membership, and then we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the idea of church discipline and spiritual accountability that really only makes sense if a church is practicing some form of membership. Church discipline makes no sense. Removing somebody makes no sense without membership. Like These verses don't apply to us if we don't have some formal way of like saying this is us. And the way he's acting, that's not us. We, we, we want to protect the name of Jesus. It doesn't represent the church. I mean, you see these things on the news all the time. The church, like Christians doing horrible things. It's like, well, if only that started somewhere at their local church level. And Paul's addressing that here. Church membership. In Paul's letter to Corinth, the church, he refers to this assembly of Jesus. It's called a body, a family, and a temple. A body, a family, and a temple. And we only have time to look at the verse 2 body and a family. So in Corinthians and throughout the New Testament I'll describe this first, this reality of a body and then we'll put some verses under it. Okay? So Jesus' church is compared to a human body made up of different members with a head that controls it. And we humans are the body of Christ. Alright, so think about this. I'm moving my hand right now. I'm moving my mouth. I'm talking. What is controlling that? My, the computer that sits up here. Okay? My head. And in the same way, that's why this is a powerful image, um, Jesus is compared to the head of the church, which is his body, the firstborn. And Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, so the head is in the new creation. He's, he's in heaven. He's resurrected. He has a new creation body. And as Sarah painfully knows, right? And anyone who's given birth, once the head comes out, the rest is easy, right? And the, the body will follow. The head's the hardest part. Well, Jesus has beat death. Our head has beat death. He's in heaven, in the new creation, the firstborn from among the dead, and the body will follow. Anyone connected to him will rise like he rose. That's the image. Like the, the, the world is groaning in the pains of childbirth, giving birth to a new creation through suffering and pain. And Jesus, the head, emerges first. By the power of God and Spirit. And that's, that's the, it might sound gross, but that's the image that Paul's using here. And we are part of the body 
of Jesus. And as our head, he is to control us, and we're to be connected to him. Which means several things. One, everyone who's part of the body of Christ is important. Every member is gifted by the Spirit to serve the other members of the body in various ways. Every member of the body, second, is aware of other members. Like, when my pinky is hit, my whole body knows, right? Even though the pinky, you don't think about it. I, I broke my pinky a year ago, and um, I still think about it because it kind of hurts, right? Um, my whole body's aware of it. Three, when a foreign object enters the body, it must be removed. Someone who isn't connected to Jesus, the head, ought not be identified as part of the body. But damage will happen. That's what chapter 5 is all about. Now, I just painted that whole picture without any verses. Now I'm going to read some verses for you to explain it. All right? 1 Corinthians 12. I encourage you. I'm going to read this at length. If you have a Bible, um, I want you to turn there. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. This is Paul's vision. This is God's vision of the church of Jesus. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God had placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Parts or members, you could say. Many members, but one body. That's where the member language comes from. Um, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a member or a part of it. So here is the first picture of the church in Corinth. A connected body. Connected to the head in heaven and with members that are connected. It's a beautiful picture that Paul paints. A, a picture of closeness and belonging that... I think all of us long for and yet because we live in a broken world even the best of churches even the best of churches do this in, in, a, in a broken way um, but for many churches 
This isn't even remotely close to what the experience is. Um, for many, and even some churches set themselves up this way. Church is an event that you attend, and that's it. That's not the picture we get here at all. And that's not Jesus' desire for any church or for our church. The desire of Jesus for his church is a connected body. So what makes somebody a part of this body? Just showing up on a Sunday? Like giving, contributing to the church? Well, the truth is we, we've had many people that don't follow Jesus actually give financially. I shouldn't say many, but some have given financially to our church. Um, and they, they, they would say, well, I'm not a Christian, but I really believe in the work you guys are doing, helping people, or especially for our building project. Um, and, and we didn't turn that down. No, we only take God's money. Or, no, we said, well, thank you for your for your contribution to, to help us renovate this space because you care about Granville and you want to see a building. Um, so we've had unbelievers give. Um, so giving doesn't mean somebody's necessarily part of the church. Um, attending regularly uh is, is is great. I mean, we want everybody to be a part of the church fellowship and, and hear about Jesus. Um, when we first started, though, we had one person coming every week for an entire year. Uh, a lady was coming and, and loved her and shared the gospel, but she, you know, she eventually decided that Jesus, you know, at least at that time in her life, wasn't wasn't for her. At least our particular vision of following Jesus. The Bible, what I would say, the Bible's vision of following Jesus wasn't something that she wanted. But she got to taste, I think, the Christian church with all its strengths and some of our weaknesses, I'm sure. So, what determines being part of the body? Well, ultimately, big picture, it's connection to the head, Jesus. And who is responsible for determining who's connected to to the head. Well, in, in our society, we say, well, I am. I trust Jesus. I'm connected to the head. But 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that there's a man who thinks he's connected to the head. He calls himself a Christian, but the church says differently. And this is a really big deal. In the individualistic Western mentality, faith is very privatized. Me, myself, and Jesus, and you know, I, if I think I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. However, this guy thought he was a Christian, and because of that, he'll never get saved. You'll never realize you need to be saved if you think you're a Christian, right? That's a great way to avoid Jesus. I'm a Christian. Of course, I'm a Christian. Parents were Christian. I'm a Christian. So many people think they're Christians, but they don't really know who Jesus is, why Jesus really came, not just to help your life get better, but to pay for your sins, because you're really a sinner, and you need forgiveness, real forgiveness, that he purchased. And you need to repent and try to turn each day and keep following him. And so the body, the family of Jesus... Is, plays a part in saying, yes, this person is trying to follow Jesus, hearing their confession. Like, 
Have you ever met somebody that said, I baptized myself? Maybe, but usually you're baptized by somebody who hears your confession and says, yes, this person is part of Jesus' family, right? And so that's part of this. This man had been baptized, but now things have changed. He's not living connected to the head. So the church is responsible to do something about it. And the second thing, the church is a body, the church is a family. You know who the members of your immediate family are, right? How do you know who's a how do, how do you know who's a part of your family? How do you know who is your biological family? Right? Well, you probably would say if we're related to some sort of common ancestor. We have a father in common or some some common denominator. Well, it's the same in the family of Jesus. We all have the same father. God. Therefore, we're all brothers and sisters. I'll read Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 to 3, if you just see it here. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Many of these guys have never met Sosthenes, however you say that name. He was the brother to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God, hear this, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a family. A diverse family. And families know each other. Healthy families love each other. They care for each other. They try not to hurt each other. They try to maintain unity together. They agree on what it means to be a part of the family. Because they all have the same father. But in 1 Corinthians 5, it appears that the man in sin may not have had the same father. He was living in the ways of the devil, unless he's removed from the family. So the church is a body, the church is a family. Um, we'll talk about this in two weeks. The church is a temple, the house of God's spirit. And to be a member of a local church is to join together with other believers in a local expression of God's global family. In the Bible, the vision of this is it's led by elders and deacons, practices baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the local church family is where Christian life is to be lived. The Christian life is body life. The Christian life is family life. And not just the global family of Jesus, no, the, the concept of a local church is behind the member language Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12. It's behind the idea that the Corinthian church must discipline somebody that goes to their church, not the church of Thessalonica. Christian life in the New Testament is local church life. Think about it. Most of the commands about Christian living in the New Testament. If you look through all the commands about Christian living, they're only able to be obeyed in the local church context. Loving your brothers in Christ, loving one another. For example, here's another one. For example, the command in Hebrews 13 7 for Christians to remember and imitate your leaders, those who spoke to you. The word of God, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who would give an account, says that leaders know, should have some way of knowing 
who they're called to give an account for. Is it just somebody they met once in the street of their town, or is it somebody that's part of their family? And also that church members would, would know who they're to imitate. Is it just a radio preacher? Well, how do you know how he lives his life? So the commands of the New Testament assume we would know our leaders, that we would know our brothers and sisters, that we would know our family. The commands in 1 Corinthians 5 to purge a false Christian, somebody who's not living for Jesus from our midst, that can only happen in church life. So the New Testament everywhere assumes and nowhere denies that the Christian life is church life. Body life. Like if you're connected to the head, then you will have a body. That's, that's kind of the vision that Paul, that the New Testament gives. And that you'll know who that body is and who it's not. That do I know the parts of the global body? Like do I know every Christian in the world? No. So how is this lived out in the New Testament? It's lived out within the local church context. Now let's look at the idea of church discipline in the church. That's membership, a body, a family, and we'll talk about later, a temple. Now in 1 Corinthians 5, church discipline, Paul calls on the church to remove a man from their church who calls himself a Christian, but he decided to live his life in rebellion to God's law. This isn't just somebody, we talked about this last week, this isn't just somebody who just keeps struggling with the same sin. Man, I just need God's help. Please pray for me. I keep, I keep wrestling with this. No, this is a guy that says, I'm going to sin, and this is what I'm doing. Um, his, his heart is hardened. He's not a man in process here. He's a man who's in a position of rebellion against Jesus. And rebellion so serious that, like, if there was tabloids in the ancient world, it would be in the tabloids. Like, guy has stepmom for his girlfriend or whatever. You know, this is serious stuff. And Paul wants it to happen immediately. Zero to ten. He needs to be removed. Jesus, in Matthew 18, and we talked about this last week, gave more of a process for dealing with sin in the family of God. And his process includes more steps than Paul gives here. Here's Jesus' process. And I'll talk in a minute about I don't think Paul and Jesus are saying different things. Jesus gives more of the picture. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, Jesus writes this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take two or three others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This process that Jesus lays out has four steps, okay? The first step is that if you, if you see your brother doing a sin, an unrepentant sin, and you call him out on it, so long as your heart's in the right place before God, and, and you're not wallowing in the same sin, like you point at him, you got three fingers pointing back at you, and get your heart in the right place before God, and you, you go to your brother, and your, your motive is love and concern for him, not just because his sin bothers you, but 
because you, you actually care about him. You think this is hurting you. This is hurting your family. This is hurting your witness. Keep flying off the handle at people. Brother, do you see this in your life? He needs to be warned. He needs to be challenged. He needs help. In a healthy church, this type of thing should happen all the time. We need each other. Go back over my life and point out multiple times where brothers and sisters, even sisters in Christ, have said, Joel, you're wrong here. That type, this first level should be like all the time. Okay? It happens with my closest sister in Christ, my wife, a lot. Okay? And vice versa. We are following Jesus together. We're in the same local church together. She's my wife. She was my sister in Christ before she was my wife. Okay? And she can say, Joel, right? I think there's, there's something wrong here, right? We need to work on this. We need each other as Christians. And ideally, what happens in, in a healthy church with growing Christians, what happens is the person says, sister, brother, you're right. Or at least you're partially right. I, I think you, you're you on to something here. Maybe not the whole picture. I need to change. I'm a sinner. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, right? Every one of us struggles with the same sin. It just looks different. The same root stuff. Please pray for me. But sometimes, you might approach somebody and things get worse. Especially if it's a serious sin, the person denies any wrongdoing, doubles down on their behavior. And I'm talking about this is like a concrete sin, okay, that they're pursuing, like maybe adultery. Not something nebulous. Like, you gotta watch, be careful here. You know, it's like, not like, well, I feel that you're a greedy person. You feel that I'm greedy. Can you give me a specific example? Yeah, maybe this or that. Like, you might be able to say, like, do you think there may be some greed going on here? I don't know. I don't. Maybe I don't see it. But this is tangible things. Like, I, I feel you're greedy. You know, you, you keep stealing money, and this needs to stop. Or whatever. <laughs> like, like this. These are tangible things. Like, First Corinthians five is tangible. That's just a feeling. There's something really going on. And so you you bring it to a stage where you bring somebody else in the discussion. Ideally, another brother in Christ in the same church family who can lend their wisdom to see what you're seeing. Yeah, I, I've seen the same things. I've seen them scream at their kids in public. It's just, it's, they need to work on this. And they, they, they're denying it. They're just passing the blame, and, and this, is, this is really bad. Um, it's hurting people. It's hurting their witness. It's coming out of a soul that's not well. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's got to be a fire because we're seeing a lot of smoke. So we need to talk to him or her. So they go and take another person with. And you know, two or three come and say, we love you. Do you see this? This shouldn't be a scary thing. But it is. Think about it. Don't you think it's a good thing for doctors to talk to people about cancer? And if you... If you have a condition and you have one doctor give you a diagnosis and you're not convinced about it, what do you do? You seek a second opinion. I mean, this is, here's, here's, a, here's a few others. 
And they're seeing the same thing. They're seeing the same results. Okay? Um, but if this person then doubles down after this and is not willing to admit his sin with even two or three others, and he simply won't stop, then it's time to the third step. Tell the church, says Jesus. And this is where membership is really important. There could be any number of people in church on a given Sunday who are not necessarily following Jesus, not really on the same page. You, you present them with this sin, they're like, what's that a big deal? I mean, that's, that's not a problem. Everybody does that. Um, so this is where public announcements from a pulpit are not what Jesus has in mind when he says, tell it to the church. Like, <clears throat> testing, testing, okay, brother so-and-so is in unrepentant sin, and I want you all to know, and like anybody can hear it, it's being live straight, like, no, tell it to the assembly of Jesus, to the, to the family. You tell the church, you let them know what's going on, whether it's individually or get everybody together, that can be complicated. And if the whole church then has a season of time where they can reach out to this person and try to confront him about his sin and he, he or she doesn't repent, then step four. Which is the step that Paul moves to immediately in 1 Corinthians 5? You treat him like a lost person. Because if you don't, how is there any hope for him? He's not going to change if he thinks he's good with God. You remove him from your midst. And the reason Paul moves so quickly in 1 Corinthians 5 is because of the public, ongoing, and obvious nature of this guy's sin. There's no process needed. Everyone's witnessed it. Everybody knows about it, and they're okay with it. This is a church problem as much as it's a, a, a guy. this guy has a problem. So he's got to be removed immediately, and that's important. It's very important for the church for three reasons, and we talked about these last week. First, for the purity of the church. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul uses an Old Testament metaphor of yeast, being like sin that spreads through dough. And he says that a little leaven, a little yeast, will leaven that whole loaf. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 is where you see that. When the church doesn't remove so-called Christians who are living in full-on rebellion to Jesus from their midst, then that sin starts to spread through the family. It affects the purity of the church. The second reason church discipline is important is it's for the final salvation of true believers. Church discipline is one way that Jesus keeps true Christians from following, for, keeps true Christians following him. Our, our memory verse for this month, what did it say? Do you remember? He will keep you firm to the end. Paul's saying that to the Corinthians. And one way that Jesus keeps us firm to the end is through the family of Jesus saying, brother, you've got sin in your life. You need to change. And, and we need to work on this. Okay, that's one way that Jesus keeps us firm is we say, oh, yeah, you're right. I need to grow. And the aim for this guy, you see it in verse 5, is salvation for the man's spirit. And finally, I mentioned this last week, but one other key reason for church discipline is for the witness of the church to the outside world. If the church gets a reputation in a community for tolerating sin, for sheltering sinners from the consequences of sin, it's, it's truly devastating to the witness of the church, and it may keep people from considering following Jesus. I, I just want you to think for a minute of of situations that you know of, maybe people, maybe friends, dear friends of yours, that have been majorly turned off from Christianity 
maybe forever, by Christians that they met who were Christians in name only and were not following Jesus. It's truly heartbreaking. Many people say, I like your Jesus, but not your church. You know what? The reality is, every single Christian is a sinner. And Christians hurt people. I've hurt people. Probably hurt some of you. Maybe I don't even know about it. Okay? I am a sinner. But, Christians that are truly connected to the head are in a process of change, of growing, of learning. Not in a hardened state of rebellion. I'm going to be this way. It's just my personality. It's just me. It's just who I am. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to follow Jesus in this area. This is heartbreaking. But I do believe that churches, if we were more, if we followed Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, it would go a long way in protecting the name of Jesus. And so in conclusion, a chapter in the Bible like 1 Corinthians 5, I hope you see why I went here with membership and, and, and this place. It, it really makes no sense, this chapter, without any some kind of idea of membership. And like, how can you formally remove somebody from the family if they never join? They just leave. And on the positive side of things, church membership is all about belonging to the family of Jesus. It's about being a member of the body of Jesus, in which every member has a part. So, here's some immediate application. Um, if you are a member of our church, I want you to know you have a family, right, that loves you. We're a broken family. We're not a perfect family. But we are a blood-bought family. Bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you, what in this year could you do with your life, rearrange your schedule, tweak things, just take another step closer to the blood-bought family? And for some of you here, you're not members yet. You've been coming for a while, or you've experienced, you've tasted the, the, the beauty of a church family, right? Of what it is to experience the love, and you've probably seen some of our sins, too. And we're not perfect. And I just want to... Um, I want to ask you to consider, if you're, if you're not a member yet... Consider starting that process with us. Um, right now, what we do is we we sit down. I, I, I do a membership class. Up, um, Shirley and Tammy aren't here uh, today, but I'll be sitting down with them next Sunday in the afternoon because that's the time that works for them, or 5.30, I think. And we're just going to be going over, over the next four weeks, who Jesus is, why he came, what it means to follow him, and talking about, are, are you really going to, do, do you really want to do this? They've already been baptized years before in their life, and, 
And so it's just making sure we're on the same page about Jesus and Christian living. And there's a statement we've drafted as a church, six brief statements that we're going to have them go through and stand up and say together, yes, with God's help, we want to live God's way for God's honor here in Granville for however long God has us here. So I'm asking you, consider. Now, maybe you've seen a membership thing and it's something you've considered before, but maybe you have some reasons that are holding you back. And I've talked to a lot of people with different hang-ups or concerns about membership. Um, some of them really valid. I mean, for some folks, it's like, I don't really want to join as a member because I've been hurt by church membership before. Church, churches hurt people, and they do, and it's tragic because churches are broken groups. But just because your toe is hurting doesn't mean you pull away from your toe, right? I mean, you, you want to try to help. So, so we, we are part of the body of Christ, and every church is going to do things a little bit different. All right? So, for example, in, in China, right, they're not going to keep a, a member list. They have fallen into the wrong hands. And different churches might not even really need a membership class because you know what? If you show up, you're showing up on pain of imprisonment. So if you walk in those doors, they already know either you're a government spy or you know who Jesus is, you know why he came, you know what it means to follow him, and you're ready to go to jail. Okay? They don't really need the same thing. But in the United States, our context is a little different. And we have people coming from all different backgrounds that may believe all kinds of different things. And so a membership class, like I said, it's just one way that we've you know, this isn't like the Bible says you got to do it this way. But it's a, a time for us to ask each other questions, to know each other. So, again, that's my encouragement. If you're a member here, you know, what can you do this year to further embrace in your heart and your life the, the vision of family that the New Testament pictures? And that, that's they look different for everybody in different stages of life, different um, time. You know, time can be a challenge. That's one of the reasons as a church what we've, what we've set up is we, we kind of called it years ago um, Rhythms of Life Together. Maybe you've had, had my, uh, heard me say that. Um, we don't, as a member, you join as a member, we don't have a requirement for you have to be a part of a community group, you have to be a part of a Bible study. But what we've tried to do is have community groups and Bible studies on the off week, uh, off weeks, so community group week, Bible study week, community group week, Bible study week, so that you have, there's rhythms of life together. Um, and you might miss a Bible study one week, but you can meet the community group another week and get prayed for and be, be embraced by the family of Jesus then, and then you, you, you know, you miss community group, but try to get to a Bible study or a Sunday morning or, or come a little early um, on Sunday to just see people and talk and and be encouraged. So that's my my plea to you all this week. Be thinking about it. Be praying about it. And if you'd like to get together, talk about membership. Listen, I'm not I'm not gonna be twisting anybody's arm. Okay. I I'm just trying to draw application from the scriptures, and I think this is a, a pretty practical one. And so if you if you'd like to meet up with me, ask me questions. Questions don't scare me. Um, they used to. But but I, I welcome questions. And I might not have all the answers. I definitely don't actually have covered. But 
Um, I would love to, uh, to talk to you about that. So with that, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for your vision of church life, of body life. Well, Lord, I think every church falls short in some way of the beauty of what could be because we're not in the new creation yet but we're on our way and so Father I just pray that here at New Creation Church Lord you would you would do a work in our hearts and lives knitting us together in our love for Jesus our love for each other that we would be a community that awakens longing in the hearts of lost people who experience the love that we share. And I pray, Lord, that it may be said of us, see how those Christians love each other. I pray this in Jesus' name.